Well, let's talk. I guess that one of the things I have to confess to you is that I'm standing in front of you today in a little bit of a different state than I have ever been in before. Because a week ago today, I got online and I signed up for Medicare. You know, my dad, who's 94, told me he never thought he'd see the day when he had a kid this old. <laughs> but, you know, I'm, I'm going to get used to it. I mean, I'm not going to retire until I get done paying for all the weddings anyway. So, uh, anyway, you know, I think today is a day where we're going to switch gears just a little bit and talk about our mission statement here at First Baptist. In the first Sunday of this series, Chris, and then in the second Sunday, Jeremy talked about some of our values. And as Chris mentioned, we're going to come back to that after Easter. But for today and next Sunday, we're going to be talking about our mission statement. You know our, our mission statement. It's that thing that's etched in the floor out there. How many of you, just out of curiosity, could recite the mission statement by heart? Anybody? Okay. Okay. <clears throat> well, the mission statement is very simply this. To produce fully devoted followers of Jesus who love God and people. The thing about a mission statement like that is that it has a couple of parts. There is the upward dimension that has to do with our relationship to God. And then there is that outward dimension that has to do with our relationship to other people. Today we're primarily going to talk about the upward part of the relationship and next week I think Jeremy is going to talk about the outward part of the mission statement. But the first part of the mission statement talks about being fully devoted, fully devoted. I went to the dictionary and tried to find some definitions of what devoted might mean so we could get a, a bearing on what fully devoted might mean. And here are some of the things that devoted can, can kind of have as synonyms. Loving, loyal, affectionate, given over to. In a more archaic sense, it has meant in the past consecrated, dedicated, set aside, and often in those regards by some kind of a solemn act. You know, in the Old Testament, it, it has a unique meaning even, and that is that when something was fully devoted, it was doomed to destruction. I mean, now there is something that is, is interesting to think about. A definition of fully devoted that means doomed to destruction. It's already pretty heavy, so let's lighten it up, okay? A pig and a chicken walk into a restaurant. Yeah. I mean, you, you've, you've heard me do this before. You know you never are quite sure what I'm going to say, okay? So a pig and a chicken walk into a restaurant. Outside the restaurant, there's a sign that says breakfast. 
all you can eat. So with some apprehension, they walk into the restaurant and they are there by the hostess and they hear the manager come over to the hostess and say, we have a problem. We're out of ham and eggs. Whereupon the chicken says to the pig, well, you know, I think I could go ahead and, you know, maybe give them some eggs. And the pig says, well, that's easy for you to say. All you have to do is make a donation. But me, I would have to be fully devoted. I thought it might be a little more humorous than that, but... (laughs) But I think you get the idea. Yeah, the, the, the thing about being fully devoted is that we can think about it in a lot of different ways, but for the sake of our discussion today, what I want to do is kind of use this definition. Given over completely, wholly, that's W-H-O-L-L-Y, and purposefully. Given over completely, wholly, and purposefully. And what I've kind of entitled as a working title for this today is Living Worship. Living Worship. I think we have a very small definition sometimes of what worship means. And yet, as we saw in the skit, God had some very unique thoughts for Ed about what showing God might mean to other people. And in the sense of being fully devoted and in the sense of living worship, that kind of became important for Ed to understand that even the more mundane things that were going to be part of his day were nevertheless things that could represent his devotion to God. So as we move along, I I want to just stop and remind you of something, and that is that the Bible... And the thought that was part of Judaism and then that became Christianity is oriental. The Bible is an oriental book. Okay? And sometimes one of the things that we miss is the way the thought process might be a little different. But let me give you an oriental example of fully devoted. How many of you have ever done any yoga? Okay. Now, what do you think of when you think of yoga? You think of a mat. You think of a duck trying to do what everybody else in the room is doing, you know, these days anyway. You think of people getting into weird positions and then trying to get out of them. And you think of somebody doing something to kind of exercise to be healthy. And yet, in the strict sense, yoga is not that at all. It can be that. But yoga, in that sense of uh, the religion that it's attached to, goes something like this. Whatever you do, if you're a doctor, if you're a salesperson, if you're a street sweeper, your yoga is to be the best doctor, the best salesperson, and the best street sweeper you can be. In other words, you're supposed to do what you do out of some sort of religious devotion. Here at first, we look at it as being a little bit more than that, but that starts to put us in the direction, though, of what fully devoted might mean. 
You know, fully devoted may just, just mean that, that we are to be fully devoted in regard to everything that we do, whether it's driving a car, waiting on customers, talking to our bosses, what have you. And so what I want to do today as we go along talking about fully devoted is I want to take some time to share with you where I have been in trying to put this sermon together because it really has been all over the, the place. But let's do something interesting. Let's, let's do something to look at what Scripture has to say that might relate to being fully devoted. You know, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, the Apostle Paul has been talking to people about the way that they behave and the fact that sometimes they can do things that could be kind of a stumbling block to someone else. And so at the end of that passage of Scripture, one of the things that the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10.31 is, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Of God. Whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. Well, that's a pretty comprehensive list, whatever you do. I mean, you can see right away that just about anything and everything can get drafted onto that list. In Colossians 3.17, the apostle says, And whatever you do in word or deed... Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. There's that theme again. Whatever you do, whatever I do. So somewhere in there, I think fully devoted must mean that whatever we do, we're to do it in a way that honors and glorifies God. That That is something that we might do, again, that is um, in the name of Jesus himself. And we talk in our mission statement about being fully devoted followers of Jesus. In Ephesians 5.1, Apostle Paul says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved, beloved children. Imitate God. Imitate God. There's a tall order. In order to imitate God, you kind of have to know what God is like. You have to know about his personality. You have to know about the characteristics of God. You have to know what God is about to imitate God. I mean, there is a tall order that the Apostle Paul puts in Ephesians 5.1. He says something similar in 1 Corinthians 11.1. He says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Now fully devoted is getting a little more personal. I'm not asking for a show of hands, but how many of us in this room would be comfortable saying to someone with regard to whatever they do, look, be imitators of me. Do what I do. Do what you see me do. If we were coming up with a list at Sign-In Central, my name, I think I would be really, really reluctant to put on the list. Because there are sometimes, and in some situations, where quite frankly, if you're like me, being an imitator of me is certainly does not come onto my list of things to tell you to do. But Paul says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Paul is saying that from the standpoint of his own being fully 
devoted. He was trying to behave like Christ. Now, what is certainly true about the Bible is we could look all through Scripture and find text after text after text that sort of would illustrate for us something that might relate to our being fully devoted. But one of the texts that Pastor Chris had put in the original um, idea for this series was over in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. And I would look at verse 1 and 2. As we've mentioned before in the class that I teach, the Apostle Paul has a very distinct style about the way he writes things. In the first part of a book or a letter or whatever, he does the doctrine. He teaches people about the things that he wants them to know about the faith. And then in the latter part of the book, he usually will talk about the application of that, how to turn it in to life. And in the book of Romans, the first 11 chapters are given over to the doctrine. And in verse 1 of chapter 12, Paul begins talking about how to apply some of these things to life. Very famous passage of scripture. It goes like this. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. He says, I appeal to you, you know, to present your bodies as a living, acceptable sacrifice, and that that's somehow your spiritual worship. A sacrifice, if you think about that in terms of something that is, often, that is offered to God, had to be perfect. It had to be pure. It had to be free of blemishes. And so from the standpoint of how we behave in terms of behaving in a way where we could present our bodies as living sacrifices, first of all, here again, that says an awful lot, and it gets us into that realm of this idea of being fully devoted. It gets us into the realm of living worship as well, because Paul goes on to say, this is your spiritual worship. He goes on to say, don't be conformed to this world. I think that's a difficult one because sometimes people misinterpret what that means. Let's face it, we live where we live. We work where we work. And we kind of are stuck in this world whether we like it or not. But what he says is that while you're in this world, you don't necessarily find yourselves in a position where you have to be of it, and he says, Look, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Have you ever thought about the fact that your mind is really where you live in many respects? What you think, what you believe, your attitudes, your choices, the decisions that you make about how to behave today or tomorrow or any other time, the fact of the matter is that in our minds, That's where we live. 
once upon a time somebody told me something that I've kind of stolen from them and used. They said that their mind, their thoughts, were kind of like a bad neighborhood. And that sometimes they just needed to be careful not to go there, you know. But if you think about what goes on in our minds, you think about a lot of what has to relate to being fully devoted. If everything we do to live worship is going to go ahead and glorify and honor God, then somewhere we have to be aware of what that means. It's a big order. Some examples. Martyrs. People who literally have given their lives for the faith. Those would be folks who you might look at and say, well, they were fully devoted. When I was a kid, which was a long time ago, did I mention I just signed up for Medicare last week? Yeah. We still had books, okay? And in the church library, there was this book called Fox's Book of Martyrs. We were fascinated with this book. And I'll tell you the truth. We weren't looking at this book to necessarily see how great it was that these people died for their faith. We were looking at this book to get grossed out about all the stuff people had done to them. I think the book is probably still there. But martyrs, you might look at as being fully devoted, people who gave their lives for the sake of God or the gospel. We also see in Scripture and we see in other situations when we hear about our brothers and sisters around the world, people who've sold everything, people who have risked everything, people who have endured suffering and persecution. And somehow, to stop and think about the fact that this may be our spiritual worship as we live worship in every respect, is a bit of a challenge, okay? Look at what it says again in Romans 12, 2. It says that after you think about the renewal of your mind part, look at what comes next. That by testing, you may discern what is the will of God and what is good and acceptable and perfect. I'll say right now that one of the problems I had back during the prayer of Jabez craze, okay, was there were people who took that prayer and did something with it I don't think it was ever intended to do. Because at the end of the prayer, Jabez says, and don't, you know, in some translations it says, that don't cause me any pain. Bless me and enlarge my territory, etc., etc., so that I won't feel any pain. And people are kind of going, hey, you know, I'm all for that. Don't like pain. Don't like challenges. Don't like being put on the spot. Don't like having to make hard decisions. Don't like having to get through all of the hard times that can come my way. But basically, what the Apostle Paul seems to be saying here is that something that's connected to renewing our minds has to do with being tested so that we learn to discern what the will of God is. Hmm. Our spiritual worship. Nicholas Herman was born in about 1610. I say about because we really don't know when Nicholas Herman was born. The um, building where his birth records would have been contained burned down, and so everybody just gets as close as they can. But roughly in 1610, a guy by the name of Nicholas Herman was born in a section of France. 
that was in an area of Europe that was very soon to be plunged into a very famous war called the Thirty Years' War that lasted from 1618 to 1648. And we know that by the time that Nicholas Herman was old enough to be in the army, he was in the army. He saw combat. And he was wounded so severely that he almost died. But after surviving, he was crippled and in chronic pain for the rest of his life. And we do know that he died in 1691. Now think about that. Do the math. This guy was about 81 years old if you go with a birth date of 1610. And in those days, that was pretty old. But he struggled with being crippled, twisted up, and in chronic pain for the rest of his life. After he got out of the army, what he did is he went into monastic life. He became a monk. He was known for being humble and self-deprecating, which basically means he didn't exalt himself. He tended to put himself down. He tended to let others be exalted, and he tended to do things that were menial, things that nobody else wanted to do around the monastery. He got to know a guy by the name of Joseph de Beaufort, who was the counsel to the archbishop in Paris. And in the process of getting to know Brother Lawrence, as Nicholas Herman is now called, Joseph de Beaufort had conversations and traded letters with him and got to know Brother Lawrence pretty well. After Brother Lawrence's death, de Beaufort then published all of these letters and all of these conversations in a pamphlet and then later in a book. And the book is a rather famous book called The Practice of the Presence of God. I first heard about this book when I was in college and I was in a chapel service at Taylor University where I went to school. And I remember being fascinated with the fact that the guy who was giving the chapel service talked about Brother Lawrence and about practicing the presence of God and about what that concept meant. And in that regard, how it relates to being fully devoted is kind of what I I want to talk about just a little bit here. What is Characteristic of this brother Lawrence is he was said to be rough in appearance, but gentle in grace. And at one point, de Beaufort said of brother Lawrence that brother Lawrence related that we should establish in ourselves a sense of God's presence by continually conversing with him. I have a copy of this book on my desktop at home, my laptop. And I've read this book. And because I've read this book, I know that Brother Lawrence didn't just kind of decide to do this one day and all of a sudden he had a running conversation with God. It was a struggle. Remember, he was crippled. He was in pain. He was doing menial jobs. He was someone that really would not be somebody that if you were to just see him on a street corner, you'd go, you know, I think I want to know that guy. But he began to practice having a running conversation with God. What that did is it brought God into every situation, every decision, every attitude, 
Every decision to cut somebody off or not cut them off. Every decision to really throw the book at somebody trying to return a pair of jeans, whether they bought them in the store or not. Every decision about whether or not to be honest in business dealings, relationships, parenting, on and on and on. And over time, I've kind of found that whenever I have tried this, sometimes it is a great comfort, and other times it's just hard to do. Let's take a look, though, at at another dimension of this. What does Jesus say about being fully devoted? In Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 to 40, we have what has been popularly called the Great Commandment. The Jewish leaders are grilling Christ, and somebody says, what's the greatest commandment? Tell us, and Christ says this to them. And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Love the Lord your God with everything you've got. In the Old Testament, where that passage of Scripture actually occurs, first it's called the Shema, and it actually adds with all your strength as well. But basically, this is what Christ says, love the Lord your God with everything you've got. And then he says, love your neighbor as yourself. Point. It appears that we can't be fully devoted followers of Jesus unless we love other people. And so in the process of looking at that, you know, if you want to see more of what Scripture says about that, again, it's everywhere. Read the book of 1 John. John talks a lot about how as believers we're to love other people. And yet the point is, in the great commandment, we see the upward dimension and we see the outward dimension. Another place Christ gives the church, us, its marching orders is in Matthew chapter 28 in what's called the Great Commission. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Look at what that says. Make disciples. Make disciples. Share the faith. Share the gospel. Go ahead and let people know what that's all about. Let them know that they need a Savior. They certainly may know it already, and you let them know who that is. But then he says, teach them. Once you have people who have found a Savior, you don't leave them alone. You don't cut them loose. You teach them. You bring them along. You help them grow. You equip them. You give them things to help them mature. And in that regard, here again, make disciples and then bring them along in their faith. 
Now we get to a point that I've struggled with. Because there's another aspect of this mission statement of ours that needs to be talked about. It's those words, to produce. The mission of this church is to produce fully devoted followers of Jesus who love God and love people. I have some bad news for you. We have no power to produce fully devoted followers of Jesus. If we had the power to do that, this would be a different place. The world would be a different place. You know, it's the movement of God, it's the Holy Spirit that actually works in people to bring them to that point where they would be fully devoted followers of Jesus. So what does to produce mean in our mission statement? I know the guys that put this mission statement together, and I know that they understood what I just told you. We don't have the power to produce, to cookie-cut, manufacture, fully devoted followers of Jesus. So what did they mean? And I think what was meant is that there are a couple of things. First of all, it means that we mean to be intent on doing the things that allow people to see their need for a Savior. You know, we, we in the church sometimes deal with terms. Terms come in and out of fashion. Seeker-driven, seeker-friendly, whatever. I have news for you. You can't be seeker-friendly unless you're seeker-driven. Because if you aren't concerned about those lost people that matter to God, as one of our core values says, you're not going to have anybody to be friendly to. And so from the standpoint of what I think this to produce means is that we want to be intent on doing the things that allow people to see their need for a Savior. And when they come to that point, then it means to be intent on doing the things that bring people along. Discipling, building, equipping, and helping them grow in their faith. If you look back at the Great Commission, this is the Great Commission. And I think very much related to what fully devoted means. To produce fully devoted followers of Jesus who love God and people. Fully devoted. Talking about it in the sense of a mission for a church, for a group of people, we seem to have switched gears a little bit here. I mean, I think in many respects, the first part of what I've been talking about today is to think about individually being fully devoted, and how do we do that? But you know what? I think it has become increasingly clear to me as I look at Scripture and as I think about this, that it also means that corporately we need to be fully devoted followers of Jesus. We need to do this deliberately. If we sit around waiting for people to come to Christ, and if we sit around waiting for them to get fully devoted, and if we sit around for them to grow in their faith, then, you know, that default option really doesn't work. And so what the mission statement means is that deliberately, by design rather than by default, we are looking to help People see Jesus, find Jesus, and grow as disciples. 
So being fully devoted is not just an individual thing. It has to be a corporate thing as well. You know, in 1 Corinthians, Paul talks about the individual believer as being the temple of the Holy Spirit. Okay? The temple of the Holy Spirit as an individual believer. But in 1 and 2 Corinthians, he talks about the body of believers as being the temple of the Holy Spirit as well. And so it seems to me that being fully devoted is not just an all-on-your-own thing, all-on-my-own thing, but it also seems as if it is a corporate thing. So not only must we live worship individually in in the the process of, of all of this, but corporately as well, by design, deliberately. And this is being fully devoted as a follower of Jesus. We're about out of time, but let me read you some lyrics to a song. And this has singular personal pronouns in it, but you could almost plug plural pronouns into this as well. You could say we and us instead of I and me. Song is called Help Me to Worship You. It goes like this. Lord, help me to worship you all the time. Help me to worship you. And help me to set myself aside. Lord, help me to worship you. Help me to praise you and help me to pray, believing you'll show me your will. Help me to worship and help me to stay wanting and needing you still. Lord, make me remember you all of the time. Help me to seek your face. And help me abandon my own designs. Lord, help me to know your grace. There is no way to cover the truth in learning to live this life. The joy is in serving you all of the time to worship you, my delight. Being a fully devoted follower of Jesus means there are no places where being that follower of Jesus isn't applicable. Either for us as believers who are individuals or for us as a church where we think of a corporate body of believers. But my hope for you and my prayer for you and for me as we leave here this week is that we will be able to think about being in a state where we live worship, where we practice the presence of God, where we bring that issue of devotion into every concern. Is anybody going to come back next week and say, you know, I did it 100%. I was perfect this week? Of course not. But if we are called to be fully devoted followers of Jesus who love God and love people, then we can't ignore what that's all about. Let's pray. Father, as we think about all that you have done for us, you know, you fully devoted yourself to be a sacrifice for the sins of all of us. As we think about what this mission statement might mean And as we look, Lord, at the scripture that you've provided for us, help us to see that you want it all. Not a little. All.
Help us to think on what glorifies you, what practices your presence. But Lord, help us to realize that you are our help and you are our source of strength in this whole process. Help us to love you more. Help us to worship you constantly. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, before we stop today, let me simply say one thing. If you remember something from this topic today during the course of the week, don't shove it out of your mind. Think about it, pray about it, and see where it takes you. And if anybody wants to talk about it a little more tonight, as Pastor uh, Brad mentioned, we'll be in the family room. We can talk about it some more. But uh, let's call it a day. You're dismissed.